Hi, Grizz. Hey, Lila. How's it going? Good. We're back again so very soon. It's been just a week since we published Samin Nosrat. Everyone seems to have been loving that episode, which is great. Yeah, totally. And she's got me cooking like way more than um, I even really have time for. The products are uh, variable. I would call them variable. Well, it's a learning curve. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty near the beginning of that curve, but you know, <laughs> we're all on it now. We're all on it. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about why we're back in everybody's feed so soon. Yeah, so normally we wouldn't have another episode until next week. Yeah, so when the lockdown began, we were talking with our producer, Lena, and we were like thinking about all the ways that our priorities had now changed for the podcast and mm. what we were going to do for new episodes. And we were thinking like, okay, if we were listeners, who would we want to hear? You know, like mm. like who would give us guidance through this time? Yeah. What would be helpful? And so the first person we thought of was Esther Perel. I mean, you spoke to Esther Perel End of last year, wasn't it, um, that we published that episode? Yeah. I mean, that was one of our most listened to, most popular episodes. Yeah, people loved it. And I think the reason people loved it is, well, it's, it's about how societies, well, how our relationships are changing. Yeah. Alongside, like, how society's changing, you know, both in the workplace and the family and romantic relationships. So it's kind of a mix of this quite sharp, big picture analysis. Sociological, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, like, very kind of macro but then also just very good, solid, practical advice. And it was a good mm -hmm. mixture of those two things. Yeah, definitely. And so we thought, okay, well, let's just see if Esther has a little bit of time for us. And so we wrote to her and she fit in 30 minutes. And it's funny, like in preparation for this, I was looking in like, what is Esther doing right now? Like, what does a famous therapist do in a time of crisis? Mm. And she's super busy. <laughs> she's like <laughs> still putting out her podcast, Where Should We Begin?, which records therapy sessions with couples. She's been doing that for like years. But now she's doing it remotely with couples struggling under lockdown. And there's something very calming about hearing like a stressed out couple stuck together in a home start to understand each other better. I've really been enjoying that series. It's great. Yeah. Um, and then she's doing this free series on her Facebook and YouTube pages that are like answering people's questions about how to deal with lockdown. So relationship things. And I follow her on Instagram and occasionally get some useful gems uh, in the week. Actually, what I really like about her Instagram is sometimes she asks her followers what questions they have and you can just read through the problems that oh, people wow. are having mm. in isolation. And that just just like reading other people's per interpersonal yeah. problems. It's <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it, it makes me feel better about my own problems. Oh, yeah, that's normal. But also like gives you a glimpse into yeah. everybody's homes. Yeah, and that's kind of cool. Yeah. And kind of crossing the divide. Like we're all in these little capsules, not seeing For each sure. other, but actually going through a lot of the same stuff. Anyway, I caught up with her first thing in the morning. We sat down at the start of what seemed like a long day of interviews for her. And um, she just dropped like 30 minutes of truth bombs on me and said goodbye. <laughs> yeah, you guys got through a lot in quite a short amount of time. <laughs> totally. um, you know, there's a lot of really thoughtful, helpful stuff in here. Um, so we didn't really want to sit on it for a whole extra week. We wanted to publish it now. So let's get into it. Here's Esther Perel. First of all, Esther, thank you so much for taking some time to come back on the podcast. Where have you been <laughs> as you're doing this interview with me about right. relationships? <laughs> I've been okay, thank you. Um, how about you? How are you doing? I think that what we are going to experience, you and I, as we do this interview, is that we are actually in parallel process to the topic that we are exploring. 
Exactly. Generally, you talk about something that isn't necessarily what you are going through in the moment as well. You may have experienced it in the past or things like that. Here, we are really talking about something, but we're at the same time talking about ourselves. Right. It can be confusing sometimes to be asking questions that you're being affected by <laughs> just as much as, as you think they'll help others. I think journalists and therapists are sharing this at this moment. Yes. Yeah. Um, I normally would sort of lead us in softly, but because we only have 30 minutes together and I know you can be so helpful. I'm going to go straight in with a couple of meaty questions. <laughs> go ahead. Let's dig. Cool. Um the first thing I've been thinking about a lot is the big picture question of what happens when we go through something that threatens our existence. And not something like September 11th that happens and then ends, but this amorphous thing that we can't see. And it feels to me like one of the things that's most upsetting to people about this pandemic is that like we don't know the outcome. And for me, I mean, in some ways, this feels like the closest many in the Western world have gotten to something that feels like wartime. And... If we look back even at recent history in other countries, like people have lived for years in scenarios um, like this or even worse. Um, I know that you're the daughter of Holocaust survivors. I'm the granddaughter of Armenian genocide survivors. And I also I feel like I inherited some trauma from that, but also a tremendous amount of meaning and some values and gratitude and resilience and joy for life. And all of these things are going around in my head. And I'm thinking, like, how do we learn from these things? Like, how do we navigate the outcome of this pandemic so that people don't come out of it suffering every day as a result? How do we strengthen the meaning we get out of this? So I would say that um, to strengthen ourselves, to have what is called traumatic growth, to uh, use these experiences as uh, um, in ways that um, rearrange our priorities, heighten the essence of things for us, um, bring restore a new sense of meaning or purpose. All of these things go in stages. Mm. We, you know, when you think trauma, generally you think in stages. You think that there is a warning stage, a planning stage, the actual onslaught, and the aftermath. Mm. Even with war, you know, you, you, there is a, there is, you see it coming. Mm -hmm. You know that there is tension rising. You know that there are agreements that are being broken. There are armies that are, um, that are being called in. Here, what has been the most challenging is that it's been so invisible. It is this invisible enemy. Yeah. And this invisibility combined with a lack of clear leadership that brings <laughs> right. disaster preparedness instructions and reassurance to people that mm -hmm. this is what you need to do to prepare for this has thrown people off in a very significant way so that the, the warning stage has been completely, was completely unexistent. And then we went straight into the planning stage. Right. And then, you know, for some of us, it is still anticipatory trauma, but for some of us, we're in it within a week. People are one step removed from knowing someone that has passed away, family member that died within 48 hours. I mean, th this is no longer anticipation. It is right there and it is going at such a full speed, like the fire, the wildfire that just kind of propagates at full speed. I think that what you highlight is that we come, many of us, mm -hmm. from all classes, all colors, all backgrounds, with histories and stories Mm -hmm. These stories are stories of triumph and adversity, stories of vulnerability, stories of how people bounce back, and they become the reservoir of resilience that is passed from generation to generation. 
alongside the epigenetic reservoir that you're talking about, <laughs> which is that being a child of Holocaust survivors or a granddaughter of Armenian genocide survivors also heightens an awareness about what it's like to live with an invisible current of dread mm. and to know that your life can be upended at any moment, to be highly aware of the, of the fragility of the human existence and the fact that we can so randomly be exterminated anytime, which mm -hmm. is something that the more protected you feel by class, by good health systems, etc., you are able to push away a little bit. You are less in touch with that fundamental feeling of lack of safety in the world. Yeah. But many of us know that fundamental lack of safety because it's part of our daily life. And many of us know it because it's part of our heritage. Mm -hmm. What we are having here is prolonged uncertainty and unknown. That's what is making people so rattled. You don't know that, okay, if I hunker down, the tsunami will pass. I've boarded myself up. And, you know, there is the day after. Here we have no idea of what is this day after. Everything is closed indefinitely at yeah. this moment. In times of uncertainty, I'm curious about like strategies that people can use to help themselves. You've talked about, you know, where some of our early memories of trauma are stored. Um, and um, I've read some about it sort of like in the amygdala in the back of our heads. And in times of crises, things can be triggered from that time. Um, and obviously in therapy, you can work for years on accessing your traumas, but <laughs> people may want to understand patterns in themselves better, especially right now while they're more likely to be triggered. Like, can you get any self-awareness about around those traumas now so you can manage your response that works for you? Right. But I think it's more than self-awareness. It's not, it's it, one way is to say people's resident fears are being activated in a moment like this. And your, your history and your epigenetics, you know, are, are right there with your own experience of trauma. But the opposite is also there. Mm. People who have grown up in chaos, people who have grown up with, in, with, with scarcity, people who have grown up with loss have tremendous skills yes. that are, that at this moment that are being, you know, they know this world. This is the world they've lived in. This just wasn't the world that other people lived in. And so they are highly skilled in this moment. Mm. And what are the things that we need to do? We need to find ways to modulate our fears. Right. It's normal to be anxious, but we have to make sure that we don't become panicked because the anxiety brings a certain kind of good stress. The panic brings stress that is overwhelming and that you can't manage. Right. So we need to know that we can't be watching the news the whole day and we can't be watching only the news of the disasters that are happening in Italy and in China and in New York City hospitals. We have to also read things that make us laugh that just make you laugh, belly laugh, so that you remember that you still have a perspective. The most important mental health thing in this moment is the warmth of social support, mm. warming and structuring social support. However people find it, it's being together with others yeah. is what is going to help us more than anything else. And and, 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 and that you do at grand scale. That is not a few people participating in therapy. I know I do the podcast, you know, where I do sessions with couples in confinement. And it is because people are experiencing their connection to this couple, their identifications with these couples that it feels soothing to them. It feels understanding. It feels mm. like I'm not alone in this thing. 
And this is what enables me to continue day after day to go through it. Right. It feels like you are completely constrained physically, mm. but that doesn't mean that you are constrained in the same way relationally or in your imagination. This is actually a time to do a lot of repair. This is a time when people will love each other more and hate each other more, yeah. appreciate each other more or have more friction. But there is definitely, if you put a focus on making sure that you notice what is going well, yeah. you will have a very different experience than if you only look at everything that feels overwhelming. Mm. There is also a cognitive mindset that accompanies that. We call it the continuity principle. It's the way in which we create a sense of connection, we you know, from what was to what will be. And with that continuity principle, some of us do it through their tasks, their roles. I want to continue to do the things the way I've been doing them because it anchors me. It grounds me. Yeah. And then you have the continuity principles of storytelling. This is an amazing time to tell stories to your children about the life of their ancestors, their families, what their grandparents went through, what, you know, and even have the grandparents who can't see their grandchildren at this moment, tell these stories to them, even if it's via Zoom or on FaceTime. You know, there is a tremendous reservoir of wisdom mm -hmm. and experience that is soothing to the nervous system. It slows down your breath. You begin to be attentive. You're less distracted. You're hearing mother, dad, uncle, grandma tell you about the Armenian experience. Mm -hmm. And you realize, oh, they also had this whole world that toppled to them. And then what happened? Tell me more, grandma. You know, Esther, I feel like we're used to being more of a doing culture than a being culture. Like even meditation is something that we schedule in and do and socializing and exercise and even self-soothing exercises can feel like obligations. Um, and I like this answer about just spending time talking because it feels a little more organic. I'm wondering if you have advice on how to make these things feel less like obligations. So here are the ones that I have found that are the most helpful and they are organic and they're not, they're not, you know, homework. You know, it's basically if you really understand the principle of social support, of mm -hmm. warm connections with people, everyone is reporting, receiving messages from people that they have not been in touch with because you're rethinking life in this moment. You're rethinking who's around. So there is that, being reached out and reaching out to people you haven't seen in a while. Exercise or whatever tell, everybody tells you is so important. The vast majority of us do not have the discipline to do this alone in our little <laughs> space. But if you have a group of three, four, five people who are waiting for you, even one at eight o'clock in the morning, you know, you will be there. Mm. You will be there because somebody is waiting for you. And because if you did it alone, you'd, be, you'd, you'd do it for five minutes and at the next message that comes in, you stop. Whereas here, you're really dropping in together and you're sharing that moment. You, you, you give your camera on not to have conversations. You actually keep your camera on so that people see you in your life. That's yeah. a very interesting shift is that you're doing other things. Everybody's cooking or working, but you feel like you're in the library and you have other people who are working and they're all on mute and nobody, you know, is right. interacting. The thing I have loved, which has been the real discovery for me is the movie club because a movie is two hours of watching and, and it's not a book. And you come and then you meet a few people and you discuss this movie. And for two hours, you've talked about something else. Right. You haven't discussed COVID and how are you doing? But it's not, it's really about integrating the presence of others within those things. 
You don't sit at your Zoom and watch at the screen. You're talking while you're cooking. Mm. You're talking while you're taking a walk. And during that same time, you're connecting with somebody so that your body is in movement because we are sitting way too much at this moment and the body is becoming atrophied. Do these things as you're doing other things. Mm -hmm. And then it feels like, you know, you are living with other people rather than stopping your life to go check in with other people and freeze yourself at the screen. Yeah. Self-soothing in a moment like this is very difficult when you are revved up to sit suddenly alone and yes. to start to do the breathing. Those who have a prior practice it have already have it in them. But those who suddenly have to learn to slow down, <laughs> you want to do it with others. And it's better to do it with others that yeah. you know. You're at wit's end with your kids. Your kids know other adults that are in your circle. We are much more resourceful when it's not our own children. Have other people talk to your kids. Mm. You know, have it's this this organic creation of community resilience, if yes. you want, and community support that is what is helping us more than anything else. Yeah, creative combinations of people that can teach each other. Yeah. What advice can you give someone, Esther, who is like self-punitive in the job that they're doing? Um, I feel like minimizing guilt is really important right now. But and, and, you know, there's parents who can't keep up with the obligations or people who can't focus at work or, you know, the mother with young children who's pulling her hair out and nothing about this feels good or like a learning opportunity um, or people who own a small business or whose loved one gets sick under their care, like who lost their job and feels like a bad provider? Like, how do you get them to not blame themselves <laughs> or feel guilt? So you have to understand that the, the self-blame yeah. is part of a culture in which people think that they are responsible for their destiny. Mm. It is part of individualistic culture to want to blame oneself. The blame doesn't just come from an individual pathology. We've been instilled with that. You succeed, you can be proud. You didn't succeed, it's your responsibility. You have yourself to blame. Versus things happen and they are beyond my control. And what do I do with my sense of helplessness and powerlessness? That is part of what we are experiencing in this moment. And for some people, that is very, very difficult to accept. And it throws them into states of implosion and depression and despair or straight states of rage and explosion and impulsivity and irritability because, ah, like, mm. you know, this shouldn't happen to me. But underneath is the feeling of helplessness, the sadness, mm. the loss, the grief, the inability to protect and provide for the people that you love. And those more vulnerable feelings that are much more imploding and collapsing. What we want is to first make it part of the collective conversation. This is normal. This is what grief brings. And you will at times experience those feelings and we need to name them as such. If we just say you are raging rather than when you feel helpless, when you don't know how to help the people that matter to you the most, when you suddenly have this job that is gone and you have also your brother you've been taken care of and so forth, you are very, very angry because in the moment when you're angry, you, you, you don't feel hope, helpless. It's a strange paradox. 
you really, as best as you can, have to imagine that if somebody else, if a friend of yours had just lost their job, you wouldn't be saying, oh, you loser piece of shit. You would be saying, look, this is what's happening in the company. You'd be, A, listening very attentively and compassionately. You wouldn't be digging the person on top Mm. of the fact that they already feel bad. You'd put your arms around them and say, it's going to be okay. We're going to help you. We're going to be in this together. We're going to support each other. Mm -hmm. This is not about, you know, you're a failure. There is a limit to what you can do and you're going to learn what you can control and what you can't control. And you're going to need other people who can listen to you talk about how awful it feels to experience this sense of loss, this Mm. sense of fear, this sense of powerlessness and this sense of despair. These are the feelings of the moments and you won't cover them up by fixing the next closet that broke down. Right. And are there questions that people can ask themselves when they are starting to feel that way, when they're starting to feel anxious or they're starting to feel what's going on with me right now or why am I getting upset, like getting to that vulnerability? I think that it's very good for people every day, morning and night, if they want to do a little stress test. Mm. How am I feeling? How am I doing? Yeah. You know, and then to name it. Not just say, I feel uncomfortable, name it. Where do I feel it in my body? I feel a tight chest. I'm checking it. I'm feeling my jaw is tight. I'm feeling that my, my teeth are clenched. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, let me pay attention to that. Track the body, especially for people who don't have words for their feelings. The body will tell you. And then am I in green zone, orange zone or red zone? This is a thing that we use with kids that is so helpful at this moment with adults. Interesting. You know, am I relaxed? Am I okay? I'm calm. I'm okay. I'm neutral. Am I revved up? I'm anxious. Or am I in red zone? I'm about to explode. The slightest thing is going to make me lose my temper. Mm. Or the slightest thing is going to make me weep because I feel like I just can't get anything right at this moment. And if you're in red zone... Then you basically, you know, then there's a few things. You either say, I need to vent if you need to go for a run, if you need to do jumping jacks, if you need to do slow breathing, Mm. if you have to just sit, if you have to take a shower, a very cold shower, a very hot shower, just in this sense, I actually think cold is the best. Mm -hmm. What do I do to slow down my nervous system, slow down. It's the exhalation that needs to slow down. It's an eight count to breathe out. And I do this six, seven times and I start to be slightly, slightly calmer. And I count out loud Mm -hmm. because if I count out loud, I can't be thinking about anything else. You can't count and think about something at the same time. Some people regulate by trying to calm down. Some people regulate by trying to first burst the energy and push it outside. Yeah. But measure if you're in green, orange, or red. If you live with people and you're in red, you tell them, I'm in red zone, stay away from me. And isolate yourself if need be in a, in a space for 20 minutes if you need to. But just be by yourself so that you don't say that thing that's on your mind that you're going to regret having said 10 seconds later. Um, the last thing I just wanted to ask you just in a couple words is, you know, we could be doing this for more, many more months. We don't know how many more months. That doesn't seem out of the question. And uh, I guess what's one thing that you're keeping the closest eye on in this time? I think that it's very important to know that high risk is not only the virus. High risk is how we will treat each other. 
mm. how we will either love or harm each other or how we will either love or harm ourselves. Mm. There is a lot of other things that will accompany this. High risk is, is the fact that at this moment we are being asked an enormously challenging thing, which is that the thing that is most natural to us to reach out, to connect, to touch yeah. is the thing that we are asked to not do. And so how are we going to maintain our sense of humanity, of connection, that which sustains us in a way that doesn't kill us? Mm. And that is a very profound existential dilemma at this moment that we are developing collectively on a global scale. The next thing is very important to know is that what keeps it going, what keeps us from thriving and not only surviving is to give ourselves the permission to talk about other things, do other things, yeah. reclaim lost pleasures. Pleasure in the midst of crisis is really essential. You know, people are going to have funerals and, um, and mourning ceremonies on Zoom and people also need to have gatherings, holidays, meals, drinks on Zoom, meaning it's okay to still celebrate life in the midst of this pandemic. People have mm. done it for centuries. It's what has kept the human spirit going. It's okay mm. to still touch, to still hug the people that at least live close to you if you know that you are all physically safe. It's, it's beyond okay. It's vital at this moment yeah. that we do that and not just go into the sheer concrete survival mode. Yeah, I think a lot of us, uh, myself included probably, I'll almost feel guilty finding some pleasure in this time. I know, but it actually is, it's essential. Yeah. It's really essential because the more you have and the more you will give to somebody else who has less. Right. And that chain is going to be holding us. But this notion that you have survivor guilt because you don't have it as bad as others doesn't serve anybody. Guilt that translates into responsibility for others is good. Guilt that just makes you feel bad because you think you have it better. You know, use it, do something with it. The purpose that, that of that guilt is going to turn this into something that is meaningful rather than just a bad feeling. And meaning is going to be what is sustaining us to go through this. So what is meaningful is it reorganizes our priority. It gives us an opportunity to do repair with the people that are closest to us that we often haven't seen or taken for granted for so long. Yeah. It makes us redecide what we want to do. It makes us take better care of our health if we can. It helps us understand what is the world that we want to live in and what are the structures that we expect will take care of us. All of that is actually happening at this moment. And mm. that will give us a way to get up every morning and to continue. Esther, thank you so much for your time, for your webinar, for your podcast. Um, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Wow, Lila. <laughs> I feel like I want to rewind and just start from the beginning and listen to that all over again. It was a lot to take in. 
I know. Even um, while I was in it, it felt like we were on like a roller coaster together and I was keeping up with her brain. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I think you kept up brilliantly with her brain, but wow, what a brain. <laughs> yeah. That conversation was, was quite different from the last one. I mean, I found it really interesting that both you and Esther had these descriptions of inherited trauma, you know, that you're both descendants of genocide survivors. Um, I found that really illuminating and kind of connected to that. I, I really liked what she said about the importance of storytelling and particularly like within families at this time, at this very strange mm. time, you know, the idea that grandparents might be talking to grandchildren over Skype and the fact that that's, that's quite a resource because all families, you know, even if family hasn't gone through this kind of trauma, we all have like what she called these reservoirs of experience and kind of inherited knowledge. I found that quite comforting, the idea that you can talk to someone older in your family who's been through more. Yeah. And I also liked her reminder that like so many of us have experiences of chaos, whether they're inherited or they're just like, they, like people who've been through chaotic times are actually very prepared for moments like this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she said if you've, if you've experienced like scarcity and loss, that you're coming into this in a different way from someone who mm -hmm. perhaps hasn't. And may have tools mm. that we can learn from. I think what I really like about Esther is she's so sharp and analytical, like I was saying, but she's also extremely hands-on as a therapist, mm. which, you know, is not always the case with therapists. You know, she gives practical tips, even just that she was saying, you know, in the evening, do a stress test. Think about, like, how do I feel? Yeah. And where do I feel those feelings in my body? Like, can I locate them? in my breath or in my muscles or it's that's such good advice like I'm I'm definitely going to do that I know especially because like we all have different levels of introspection some of us have language to identify what we're feeling and mm. others don't and even people who do have language to identify what we're feeling sometimes we just don't know I love that point about using the body to help chart how your mind is feeling I thought that was mm. brilliant like what hurts and why yeah. And then that can also help you communicate what you need to people that you live with. Like even that green, orange, red zone, being able to say like, now is not the time, stay away from me. I need yeah. some time alone. That's necessary. Mm. After talking to Esther, I shared this interview with my mother, who, as friends of the pod may know, <laughs> is also <laughs> a psychotherapist. And um, uh, Esther would be happy to hear that it led to this long, really fascinating conversation um, that I wish I had recorded, but I didn't. I feel like that's a very um, This American Life producer kind of thing to do. Have a phone call with your parents and also be recording it at the same time. <laughs> right, exactly. <gasps> uh, but I did write down some of the things that came out of it that I thought expanded on Esther's points. It might be helpful to listeners. I told her one of the questions that Grizz, you and I had considered asking Mm. Uh, but didn't, which was, why is this so hard? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's like apart from the obvious point that it's a pandemic and we may get ill and some of us are ill and we have, mm -hmm. may have lost people that we love. Um, why is it so hard to work from home and not see friends in person and all that stuff? And her response was um, <laughs> was a very therapist response, but I thought it was really helpful, which was when we have a feeling, it's helpful to probe it. Like there isn't necessarily just an answer to everything. So like it's often helpful to give it a good next question. And the qu next question to that is like, what's the danger to you in that discomfort? So right. why is it so hard? Well, what's dangerous about it being hard? Mm. Um, and examples of dangers could be, you know, that I'll lose my friends, 
that I'll get too used to being isolated and I won't be able to come back to myself, Mm. that I won't be able to manage if I get ill, that I'll be alone if I get ill, that my own personal strength has been put to a test, that those sorts of things. And then once you figure out what the danger is, then you can explore it. Yeah. And those are like very real fears, aren't they? Yeah. And one way to explore it is to see if you can go back and find anything you can associate with that feeling, like a wound from the past. Mm. Or like, do you have any memories you can associate with those dangers and how the people around you responded when that happened in your childhood? And then that can help you figure out the connection. And then if you have a better understanding of where it comes from, then that's helping you understand your triggers and can kind of give those feelings less power. Yeah. I mean, I think that's all so true. I've been thinking about it and I feel like one of the reasons why this is such a strange time is that we're all going through this together and yet we're all so different and we're bringing very different kind of anxieties and patterns of thinking and personal histories um, to bear on it. And, you know, your mum's so right that the thing that we can do, the helpful thing we can do is like examine that, you know, so it's not so much why is this difficult, but why is this so difficult for me? You mm. know, I think that's that's the probing that needs to go on. And it can be both. There is the what is happening societally that is making this so hard for us to process. And also, how am I responding specifically? Can I ask, what do you think it is for you? I think for me, it's about being pregnant. You know, I'm five and a half months pregnant now. Um, and that mm. would be a big change in normal circumstances. And the lockdown is also a big change. And one of them's happening to me specifically to my body. Mm-hmm. And the other one's happening to like everyone I know and everyone I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so I'm kind of trying to square those two things. And I'm I'm doing that without seeing the people I would normally see. And that can be quite lonely. Yeah. You know, it sounds to say, like, why is this so difficult for me? I think it can sound a bit like a selfish question or an indulgent question to be probing. But but actually, I, I think it's not. I think these are the kind of thoughts that we should be having when a pandemic is going on. It's just it's just practicing good mental health. Yeah, I really agree. And this is a good time. You know, we're feeling things now that we normally push down that are bubbling to the surface. And yeah, here's a chance to understand ourselves better. Yeah, that's so true. It's like we we kind of have to now. Yeah. How have you found it? You know, a lot of this is hard for me. Um, There's definitely some danger there that I can explore. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Uh, I get anxious a lot and I get overwhelmed. Um, I get sad. Mm. There are also times where... And it's hard to admit this, but I found myself enjoying it Hmm. um, and feeling a little bit of relief from my obligations. I can cook more and get to know myself better. Being alone is good for me. There's a bit of quiet, which I think I was searching for before this all began. Yeah. It's funny because now all the stuff that we have in abundance, like time alone, it sounds like... um, you were craving that before. And I think in our like former lives, which are so busy, you kind right. of like the idea of just having a night on your own is like really nice. Right. And so now I have many yeah. nights. <laughs> yeah. And you know, another thing that my mother mentioned that um, may help some of you too, I've been thinking about it a lot, is that every positive thing that you learn from this is something you can keep. Like mm. it can really be in the blueprint of things that you've learned from down the line when we're not isolated anymore. And I really, really liked that Esther said that not only should we not feel guilty about finding pleasure in this time, but actually finding pleasure is completely essential 
to get through this. Like it's important yeah. for all of us too. Yeah, and survivor's guilt helps nobody, you know? Yeah. It's, for us, there's a kind of stillness to this moment and and that is a kind of luxury and I'm, I think we're both so aware that for lots of others, you know, this is a time of real chaos and uncertainty and busyness. Mm. But that doesn't negate Esther's point, I think, that it's like important for all of us to find some kind of pleasure wherever we can. I also really loved her point that um, feeling guilt about your relative privilege where you have it is fine if it motivates you to do something, Mm. but it's not really useful if it paralyzes you. And if you are privileged enough to have a bit of energy right now, you don't have to feel bad about it. You can use it. So I was thinking about that a lot. And, you know, for me, those are, you know, who can we bring on the podcast that can help listeners get through this time? And Mm. how can I support members of my team at work? And personally, like... How can I help my sisters who have kids and chaos and more job insecurity than me and people in my orbit and my neighborhood? Roxanne Gay, the writer, has suggested that just giving money to people who need it in itself is a is a form mm. of help. So can I share part of my paycheck? You know, I have an undocumented friend who I can financially help. Those are the sorts mm. of things I'm thinking. Yeah, it's nice to have like a really practical things that you can do as well, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it gives all of us meaning and we need meaning. There are some really good resources online and we've put some in the show notes about um, ways we can help. Yeah. And the other thing that we'll link to is a piece that was published in the FT recently called, Is It Okay to Be Happy in Lockdown? Um, Which is a (laughs) good question. Um, It's by Lucy Kellaway, who's a very funny, spiky writer. Um, And she has, you know, she has a nice counterintuitive take on these kind of questions that we've been asking. Yeah. And also our readers like love Lucy Kellaway. And so (laughs) her article in itself will probably make some of you happy. Yeah. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us in this special extra episode. We would love to hear what you thought of this episode and, as usual, what's getting you through this time. You can email us at culturecall at ft.com or fill in our short, <laughs> fun form that we love uh, at ft.com slash culturecallout. Or you can check in with us on Twitter at ftculturecall. Everyone loves a form, Lila. Everyone loves a form. If you like the show, as you know, we're doing our best to keep things going in these challenging times. And the best way that you can support us and to support the podcast is to share it with people who might enjoy it. Mm. You can text it to your friends, share it in your Instagram stories and tag us, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll both be back next week. And don't forget that from here on, we're publishing on a Friday. We've been Lila Raptopoulos and Griselda Murray-Brown. Culture Call is produced by Lena Prestwood. And our music is composed by Fatim. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.